Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say something to the listeners, Ben. Greetings, summer listeners. <laughs> Greetings to everyone, even if you're listening to this in the fall after summer and I- just doing a recap of all of our episodes. Right? Or maybe you're in another hemisphere. <laughs> yes. Um, for our new listeners, in case it's the first time you're listening, and uh, for those people who, who just forgot what they're listening to altogether, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we use this podcast to get all of our thoughts on this industry off our mind. And more often than not, we're just talking about new cars that we've driven, but sometimes we talk about the news, and sometimes we just rabble on about nonsense. I don't like to use the word brain dump, but it's a brain dump. <laughs> okay. Look at look at what we did. We made Ben use a word he did not want to use. Brain dump. <laughs> Again. So today I'm going to talk to you about the brand new. In fact, it's so new, I can't even get it yet. The 2019 Audi A6. Whoa, okay. So A6. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of Audis now. There's a lot there's of There's a ton of Audis. <laughs> there's but I mean what I what I mean by that is there's a lot of subtle variations on a theme. Audi's gotten very good at spreading out into various niches like BMW and Mercedes to a certain extent, but we had the A7 already come out earlier this year. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I drove the A7 back in February. Okay. And this car and the A6 are very, very similar. And is um, it the same platform? And it, so, for people who aren't familiar, the A7 is a is like a hatchback, a, a midsize hatchback, almost full size. And the mm-hmm. A6 is the sedan version of that, I guess. Yeah, they don't call it quite a hatchback because it's more of that sportback, liftback thing. It looks like a sporty coupe in a way. It's okay, not... like a longer trunk lid than that. The glass, yeah. th- does the glass come up on the A7, the new one? Yes, it oh, does. Okay. And the A6 is more of the traditionalist sedan variant. And I really enjoy the A6 because, and any of the cars in its class, I think they're best described as executive sports sedans or executive sedans. I like these cars because they fill a role, not just like... For us here in North America, I mean, we know them as very luxury, luxury-oriented and sporty vehicles. But in other markets, like in Germany or in Europe, they're business class sedans. And in Asia, they're like limousines where where clients pay chauffeurs to whisk them all over the place. I'm really impressed with the ability for one car to do all of these things, to have all of those kinds of masks, if you will. Yeah, and, and they're workhorses too. These are vehicles you'll see in livery in Europe. So mm-hmm. if you're a, you're a, an exa- like a limousine company, or a transport company. This is the 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 five series, the A6. This is what you're going to see pulling most of the duty because they're a little bit more expensive than a three series or, or or an A4, but they have the room you need for luggage and people to be inside comfortably. Like you can't you can't just show up in a three series and expect to put two people comfortably in the back for a longer trip. So and these, like luggage or something. Like yeah, that. these are oh. really versatile vehicles. And they can be equipped with so many options and features. So let me just start off by saying, yes, this is the same platform that's found in the A7. And it's almost derived, it's very similar actually to what's found in the A8. And even some of the crossovers that have hit the market recently, like say, um, I think the Bentayga or something like that. um, Those really high-end like Q7-esque vehicles, which is pretty impressive to show how far... Um, Audi and the Volkswagen Auto Group has taken the idea of modular platforms. Well, uh, you know, it's 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 cost savings, but it's also it's not so much savings as it is it allows you to pour all your development dollars into one place, and then you get something hopefully pretty good out of it, right? Rather than spreading it around. 
Absolutely. And uh, you know what? They've also improved other elements of the of the vehicle. They've added, just like the A8 and the A7, this car also has a 48-volt electrical system. So it's they call it a mild hybrid. Um, I think that's a little generous, but I'll run with it for now. This car will turn off at stops and will even get going um, at low speeds, or when you let off the throttle, it will coast uh, without the ignition, uh, without the combustion engine running, which is pretty cool. So Otherwise, it's paired to a turbocharged V6 engine that makes about 340 horsepower, and I had the torque number, 368 pound-feet of torque. So this is the same engine you find in an in a um, S4, right? Absolutely. And and uh, I, I, well, actually, the S4, yes. Sorry, I was thinking of. The S4 might have another sized engine. I'm not quite sure. A twin turbo, or am I thinking of the RS engine? You might be thinking of the RS. I'm, oh, I'm not entirely. Mistake. Again, this you know, there's a lot of Audis right now. I just wanted to touch back on the 48 volt system. There's, there's another reason why we're seeing that in European vehicles, especially, but it's it's in North America too because the new Ram has it. We talked about that a couple of months ago. This is a it's it's a bridge. It's it's going to take you from the 12 volt system that's dominated since the 60s all the way to the future where with 48 volts, you can much more efficiently handle energy management inside a vehicle. So that opens the door to various types of hybrid systems and not necessarily the ones that Sammy was mentioning. Like he's saying, you know, you said it's not really an actual hybrid as, as we would think of it. But if you wanted to put that in the A6 with the 48 volt system, it's way easier to do that. It's much simpler to put in like a kinetic energy recapturing system or really any type of battery assist. Once you have that 48 volt architecture in there. So it makes sense for companies like Audi and especially Mercedes Benz to, they've been big proponents of this to just start putting this in every one of their vehicles. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, I just want to back up a moment and talk about that platform. It's called the MLB Evo. And yes, it's used. Wait, on MLB huge... Evo? Does it have a huge double tiered wing? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Ah. But it's used on everything from the Q7 to the Bentega to the Q5 to the Urus, the Lamborghini Urus, the Porsche Cayenne, the upcoming Q8 and the Volkswagen Touareg. It's shared with all sorts of huge vehicles from Audi and its uh, its associated nameplate. So it's kind of like the Ford Fox platform was in the 80s where there were <laughs> like 12 to 15 vehicles at any given time based loosely on the Fox platform. And I mentioned the engine. I mentioned that um, hybrid powertrain. I also want to mention the transmission the transmission was the number one thing about this car that blew me away indeed that powertrain is super smooth it could it can it 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 is so versatile it can fill in the gaps every time you need it to go if you need to if you have some some space in traffic you can close it in an instant it's such a good engine but that transmission i did not the spec sheet said it was something called a seven speed s-tronic gearbox and the and a light in my head got goes off and it goes s-tronic means it's a dual clutch but this transmission was so smooth ben it's absolutely the smoothest transmission i could have ever imagined paired to the words dual clutch so you're it saying it's a so tri is it, is it a tri clutch no it's a dual clutch it definitely is a dual clutch uh s-tronic uh is their dual clutch branding for or their the branding for dual clutch transmissions and they absolutely nailed it with this uh, current iteration of the thing, of the transmission. And it's a seven speed, which is what I, that's what tipped me off to it being a dual clutch, because usually Audi pairs their engines with eight speed automatics. Sometimes they call those Tiptronics. And those those automatics, honestly, they're really good too. It's uh, It's hard to get a bad automatic transmission these days. I mean, they're out there, they're usually paired with low torque engines. That's where you start to notice a lack of smoothness. But, I mean, we're in the executive sedan class right now, and it's it doesn't surprise me that they've, they've nailed the transmission. 
And that's what I'm trying to get at. I mean, every other car in this class does not use a dual clutch. It uses a regular automatic. Even the Mercedes uses a nine-speed automatic. BMW uses an eight-speed automatic. And uh, say, you know, some some newcomers on the scene like Genesis with their G80 uses automatics as well. So this using a dual clutch is quite an interesting phenomenon. And it's so smooth, and it's absolutely the benchmark in the class. I loved it. It was so surprising. And the car never felt like it was in the wrong gear. That probably has a lot to do with that mild powertrain, uh, that mild hybrid powertrain. So it always had, like, it could fill in the gaps whenever you needed it to. But I was impressed with how quickly it shifted, how smoothly it shifted. And if you wanted to take control yourself, there were some paddle shifters on the steering wheel that uh, allowed you to do that. So uh, how, how does it, I mean, it's quick, it's smooth. What, what's it like in terms of, is it an athletic feel or is it a more of a comfort-oriented vehicle? And how many different versions are there? Okay, so I drove uh, two different setups of the car. All of them have that same engine in and powertrain, but some were equipped with a four-wheel steering system, which was surprisingly good, especially, you know, we were driving it in Europe. We were actually in Porto, in Portugal, and the roads there can be quite narrow, and you need to be really on your on your A-game when it comes to handling that steering wheel so that you don't um, fall off a cliff or something or crash into some very um, poorly placed houses that are just off the side of the road. Um, and honestly, this thing had the ability to just feel like a much smaller car. And that has a lot to do with that, uh, four wheel steering model. Well, is, the, that the, is it, is the four wheel steer? So a lot of cars that have four wheel steering, it's not active at all speeds. Is it, how do, is there a range of speeds for the A6 where it's available or is it, cause I know it's that active at all speeds, man, it's impressive. In fact, it has two different, um, modes, one for under, parking and one for, for not parking under 60, under 60 miles per hour. It operates, um, I believe, opposite the the front wheels. The rear wheels will op- operate opposite the front wheels. The rear wheels will operate... Sorry. Say it six times fast. <laughs> the rear wheels will operate different than the front wheels. The rear wheels will operate different than the front wheels. Um, times four. And that's that's to increase your ability to corner. And then I guess above, above 60, you want more straight line stability, so... Mm-hmm. So it goes in parallel to the to the front wheels. It doesn't go like the full range that the front wheels will go. It's a very narrow range of articulation, uh, and you can really feel it. I'm really I, I mean, excited. I would hope it doesn't go like the full <laughs> range of the front wheel. Can you imagine? First of all, that sounds expensive when it breaks. But second, I, I I don't know. I could I could picture a lot of owners calling the dealer with frantic like, "What the hell is going on in, in the rear quarters of my vehicle?" Um, you know what, though? It's surprising because even when we were parking it to take photos, you can see the the rear wheels curved in or uh, curved in or, or out as they needed to be, which was really interesting to to visually see how much the rear wheels uh, move. So I was impressed with this. You could get it without the rear wheel steering and the car feels less agile and a little bit more. Um, it feels a little bit more pedestrian, just normal. And I would say if you're going to get this car and you have the option for four-wheel steering, I still don't know if the option packages in North America will even allow for getting four-wheel steering as part of a package or a standalone option. I would say that it's, an, it's a must-have for this vehicle. So is it called Quattro Steer? No. That's no. a huge missed opportunity. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, so I was impressed with the handling characteristics and the, the transmission in particular. The powertrain uh, is very good. They've managed the brand new technology in there. The interior is a, bit of a, is a bit of a mixed bag for me because Audi has done away with many of the conventional buttons inside their cars and they've replaced 
the infotainment system and the HVAC controls with, um, sorry, I'm getting a phone call. I've turned off my phone. That sorry, is man. incredibly unprofessional. I know, but you know how we do here. The unnamed automotive podcast sometimes does some unprofessional shenanigans like that. Um, the they've done away with all of the buttons. The infotainment system and the HVAC controls are both controlled by different touchscreens, which looks good. It it's very like uh, high resolution. There's a lot of information that can be. Are they there. stacked on each other? Like how does it, how does it look? Yeah. So the dashboard it has a two layer uh, layout. So it the screens fit in very nicely in the in the interior. I'm I'm impressed with how they've managed to make two screens fit in very nicely. Um. So. The only problem is that while there is haptic feedback on these screens, it just is a little clumsy to use, and you can't use them without taking your eyes off the the road for a con continuous period of time. You know, we've dis we've said this in cars like the Volvo uh, XC60 and XC90, that census system. This yeah. feels very similar to that. You just need knobs where you can twirl and push, and things happen for for heating and cooling. It's that simple. It's you can do it with gloves. You can do it like Sammy said without taking your attention away from you know not dying on the highway. Uh, it's it's an important thing, and it's interesting because Audi's done such work, so much work, putting the visuals from their infotainment system directly in front of the driver, mm -hmm. with the uh, I can't remember what it's called. Virtual now. cockpit. This Virtual car has cockpit that too. So it has three screens. You're saying, but yeah. but it's actually well, no, I mean three screens is fine, but not if it makes it more of a hassle to do certain things. I'm trying to I'm trying to say that it might take more time to get used to that than I had um, in the in the two days I drove the car. Um, but I mean, Audi is far from alone in doing this. We talked about mm -hmm. uh, what was happening with the Range Rover Evoque. Sorry, not the Evoque, the the new one whose name Velar. is the Velar. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be like that in the I-Pace as well. Uh, it's the same type of dual screen system. So this is not, they're not, Audi's not, you know, striking off on their own with this. This is a trend. Well, don't mistake. I mean, the Velar, if I remember correctly, has knobs that are context sensitive. Um, so they it can does. Be HVAC, they can be HVAC settings. They can be um, or something else as well. I can't but there's know. stuff that's buried. Like if you wanted yeah. to get to the heated seats, you had to select heated seats, and then the knob becomes heated seats related. So hmm. it's for, it's stuff like that where there's there's multiple layers of menu to get through before you can use the knob. You might as well have just put a button. It is, there's will, no there's no reason not to have a button. I guess is what I'm saying. I'll say for common controls, the A6 provides those pretty pretty upfront um, on the HVAC controls. So like your heated seat and vented seat buttons are right there. And but the feedback is just it's just not it's just not uh, strong enough. I would what, say. What about interior room? Is, is 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 that was that good in the back seat? Yeah, the car has marginally improved um, the interior space. It's like millimeters, like barely over 10 millimeters in some cases. And the cargo space hasn't increased from the last generation model, although the opening has improved, which is nice. But you've got to remember that they've also improved the technology that's available under the like under all the sheet metal. Um, so the fact that they haven't encroached into passenger space is, I think, is something to be commended for. But um, yeah, the car is pretty spacious and it's well equipped. You can get a four zone climate control system in this car. You can get window shades. Um, you said three displays. There's actually a fourth, a head-up display for the driver. Wow. Is uh, there are there screens in the back too? <laughs> I I didn't see any cars that were equipped with that option, but I'm sure that that's something that we'll see because, like I said, this car can be a limousine for some people, and that's an important feature for people who who carry important clients around. They need to entertain them, you know. 
So, uh, in your in your opinion, is there anywhere else where maybe the A6 came up a little short in compared? Because I mean, it's it's going up against the five series, which we talked about extensively in the past. It's a very good, well-rounded vehicle, and it's going up against the E-Class. Mm-hmm. So that's and, that's and and against the Jaguar XF, which is kind of an outlier, but is very sporty and engaging to drive. Yeah, the XF is actually surprisingly good too. I will say that um, I had I had to adapt to the new steering feel. This has a variable ratio rack in addition to the four wheel steering. It takes a lot of getting used to. It feels very artificial, and uh, at times you just lose all your feedback um, with the with the car. And you just have to trust that what you're doing with the steering wheel is gonna is going to react in the way it does. And so far, every time it did happen, but it does give you these weird tingly feelings in your fingertips, as if you don't have control of the car. What do you mean tingly? Like, are you feeling a live electric current through the steering wheel? <laughs> no, that doesn't. Ha- that would be a good way to keep people awake. You know I, how many I don't times know. Ben, you have triggered the drowsy driver uh, display on cars. <laughs> I don't on, think like, it'd be four different occasions with me in the car. I can't imagine it not happening very that's true that's because of my sleepy eyes but i i feel that it's you know i i don't want think it's a great idea to make drivers potentially fearful of touching the steering wheel like you know you know i don't know if you've ever touched an like have you ever touched an electric fence uh no so when i I was like when i was a kid my my grandparents they used to board horses and so they had electric fence on their property and i remember my grandfather telling me that this electric fence that they had wasn't on and that i should touch it and then i touched it and it was on and it shocked my hand so hard I couldn't feel my arm for like 20 minutes. I was like, oh, no. I don't know, nine or ten. And I was like, I was like, why did you do that? And he's like, you shouldn't believe everything people tell you. This is my <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the real question: Was that fence 12 volt or 48 volt? I well, I'm still <laughs> alive, so uh, I'm assuming 12 volt. It okay. might have been six. I don't know what it takes to stop a full grown horse. <laughs> So the A6, maybe we shouldn't shock uh, drivers uh, who are losing their feeling on the steering wheel. I think definitely not. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know the most effective form of in- enforcement, whether it's speeding speed traps or whether it's... It's positive um, enforcement. No, no, no. It's it's oh. inconsistent enforcement where you don't... <laughs> no, you don't know. You're like, maybe there's a cop car under that bridge. Maybe not, but I'm not going to risk it. If you always know, then you just don't speed where that spot is, right? And then you speed somewhere else. But if there could be one anywhere, you're like, eh, it's like photo radar. Everyone knows where photo radar is, so it's slow at photo radar and fast everywhere else. So with this electric steering wheel that we're talking about, if it makes you tingle when you touch it, you're not sure when that tingle's ever going to turn into a full-blown shock. Ben can't feel his arm for 20 minutes because he's 10 years old and he trusted the wrong person. Um... <laughs> Your so like, grandfather's not the wrong person. <laughs> well, he was then. Like for that no. for that five minute period of time, I was learning an important lesson. Mm. But uh, anyway, I'm just saying, don't shock me from the steering wheel because if there's an accident, if there's a situation where I have to grab the wheel, I don't want something in the back of my head to go. Maybe you shouldn't grab the wheel. Maybe today's the day. <laughs> Okay, well, don't mistake me. When I say that my, my fingertips get a little tingly, it's not from electric current. It's almost like this numbness of not knowing what the what the wheels are doing all around. But like I said, the car did react properly. Um, I, I just have to have faith in it if you, if you get my drift there. I do. I wish I knew what faith was, but I've heard you <laughs> describe it, and it sounds beautiful. So I'm concerned because I don't have full information on the fuel economy and pricing structure of the vehicle. As I told you, I only know that it comes with this V6. Eventually, it's going to come with a four cylinder model and that will probably help make the a6 and more um competitive all-rounder we know that the five series comes with both a four cylinder a six cylinder an eight cylinder and an even better eight cylinder 
Um, from and it also has a plug-in hybrid model, and Mercedes has a number of engine options in its cars as well. So Audi, I need to see these A6s, these S6s, and potentially an RS6 to come along and fully round out its lineup. And I hope that they're really cont- competitively priced. Is this a model year 2019? Is that what it is? Yes. Okay, because for 2018, I can tell you that the A6 starts at just under 50. It's 49.7, and that's with but, a four-cylinder. Yeah, that's with a four-cylinder. Yeah, so I, I'm assuming we'll see something around 50, maybe mm-hmm. 51, 52. That doesn't really seem out of step. This is a U.S. market. That doesn't really seem out of step at all. I think that's that's a, yeah. a very solid deal. And I was hoping to see more of the influence from the A6. Uh, sorry, the A8. The A8 has some really important technology, including... Um, air suspension, and LiDAR, which helps make it a very um, high-tech vehicle. Now, I don't want to suggest that the A6 isn't high-tech. I just think that they they had the pieces to go above and beyond, and maybe they held back so that somebody would pick up an A8 instead of an well, A6. You know, maybe maybe you're right, but at the same time, yeah, you, you got to – there's the A7 is in there too. So Audi has to protect two vehicles that are above it. Uh, I, I don't know if the A7 is really above it, but I think it has a little more prestige or sportiness or what have you. It's it's hard to say. The A8, though, definitely. They have to – I mean, if the E-Class was a baby S-Class, people – no one would buy the S-Class except for just pure status reasons, right? So they got to – there's got to be something that differentiates them. There's also something I, – I, I hate to bring this up, but there's a car that – really is surprising a number of drivers and it's i think the german automakers are really underrating what genesis is doing with the g80 oh 100 the g80 is a fantastic car and it starts at forty-one thousand bucks it is an outstanding vehicle everything about the car is how it should be you can get all-wheel drive you can get a sport version that's fun to drive it's big inside uh, the infotainment system makes total sense. It has buttons if you want buttons. The interior materials feel great. It's going to last forever. <laughs> I don't know. Is the Genesis warranty, is it 10 years? I'm mm-hmm. not sure exactly. Uh, it's, it's... They have a they have a five-year, 60,000-kilometer uh, uh, limited warranty, and then their powertrain is 10 years and 100,000 okay. miles. So that's outstanding. Yeah. Um, and. It's a great car to drive. I, I, I echo everything. Every Genesis I've driven, and I've driven them all now, G70, G80, G90, they just keep delivering. There's no other top, way to put it. They top out at, at 60000 US dollars with a 5-liter right. V8 all-wheel drive model. Yeah, so that's, I mean... So could, I don't want to yeah. say that the G- Genesis G80 is better than this car, but if you're trying to get the best bang for your buck in this segment, it's a really it's a really compelling product. It and looks I, sharp too. And I wonder if, like I said, I just think that the that the German competition is underrating what's coming from Korea right now in you know, the Genesis brand. It's almost like, and this is just this is me, this is a supposition on my part. But when Lexus came around mm-hmm. and beat the Europeans on quality, which they were able to do initially in the 90s, uh, quality and reliability. They didn't touch them in terms of driving feel. It wasn't as fun or as engaging. And I would, you know, to this day, it's hard to find a Lexus that kind of makes you passionate about driving it. There's just the, one. The, I think the LC500 is the, the one. The LC500 is an excellent vehicle. I mean, I like a lot of Lexuses, but in terms of them being, being driver's cars, mm-hmm. I would not affix that label to them. However, but, I, but on the same time, I would recommend so many Lexus products because of their quality and their reliability. And they're all sure. around... Um, they're an all-around great car. For the I'm, not, I'm not saying this to knock Lexus, but what I'm saying is I think it created a, a perception of com- competition from Asia, where when Genesis came around, 
it's entirely possible that the you know BMW AL they just said, hey, you know what? It's going to be like Lexus again. They're gonna they're gonna give us they're gonna give great quality and it's gonna be less expensive. But we don't have to worry because we drive better. But mm-hmm. that's not the case anymore. These are equivalent driving vehicles. The the Genesis G80 is the equivalent, I think, to a a five or a six in almost every situation that people will actually drive it in. Sorry, a five series or an A6 or I think the E class. Uh, to me, the E class has been a standard in this class because it was um, really affordable. It felt uh, very luxurious. The interior design of the E-Class, to me, is second to none. It's beautiful. Um, and uh, you can get it with a number, a number of different powertrains. The A6 really comes up close to that. The thing about the G80, it's a very heavy car. And yes. I'm not 100% sold on the interior design. Now, that I don't want to knock its quality. I think they have really cool um, trim levels, but it just feels like an interior, while some of these other cars feel like something really special and futuristic and and, and luxurious, sexy at, at best. So Okay, I understand I, what you're saying. I know that Genesis has some time to go, but they just arrived. Like, they literally just arrived. The G80 was their first, maybe their second car. And well, you know, it, it, you say that, but the Genesis, the Hun- the G80 is the continuation of the Hyundai Genesis. So, so they've had just a first. Is it still a first generation product then? No, they they've had a runway for the Genesis, mm-hmm. and and the G90 is a next generation Equus, right? Yeah. Which was also uh, a very yes. yeah, was also a very good vehicle. The only real all new Genesis that we've gotten is the G70. I'm not not to not to take away from the 80 or the 90 because there's substantial redesigns over what had the Hyundai badge on them before. But they had a chance to perfect things, I think. So um you know and and I think the fact that the G80 is heavier is because the G80 was originally positioned as a full-size car when it came out. The the Equus wasn't really around. I think they sold like 100 of those. It was a proof of concept type of vehicle. Yeah. Uh or 100 a year, I mean. So anyway, it's and it's just exciting to have a new blood in the segment, and not just new blood, but like new blood that's kicking ass. Yeah, but back to the A6. I mean, I'll sum it up. It's a it's a extremely good all arounder, and it will fill so many gaps um, for consumers who are looking for either a very high tech vehicle. I didn't even mention the driving assistance features or the fact that you can get it with um, in car Wi-Fi, uh, in car internet, and like onboard Wi-Fi hotspot, which is perfect again for like. Um, business class drivers or, or fleet vehicles or chauffeurs again, um, but it's fun to drive. It's very luxurious. It's it's pretty. I mean, I won't call it the most attractive cars. I think all Audis look very similar, and I really wish they could do something dramatic with their design. Um, but it's a very very good car all around, um, and I was impressed with what they what they had to offer. I can't wait to find out more, especially pricing. Now, uh, to switch gears a little bit, I also had a European car uh, experience this past Mm -hmm. week, but I I had something that's kind of unique, and it's it's only unique. We've talked about the car in the past on the podcast a little bit, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a Mercedes C-Class wagon, and this is a vehicle. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is a vehicle that Sammy's had a chance to drive. I finally got a chance, some time behind the wheel. I mean, we've both driven the C-Class extensively, but the the reason the C-Class wagon is unique is because it's the only it's it's only available in Canada. Right. So this is an interesting um, thing to bring up. Wagon luxury wagons are they're they're finding a weird place in the market. You can find them in some markets. You can find them in others. You know, Canadians will probably um, know that the Buick. What is it called? The Regal the Tourex. Regal Tourex is not yes. available in Canada, but the Mercedes C three hundred um, is. 
And and there's an interesting story, a backstory to the C300 wagon. Okay. The reason, so there was no, this is a, mine's a 2018, and there was no 2017 model year. Mm-hmm. Because originally, the C wagon was going to come to Canada, and it was going to be diesel only. And because Canada is a, is a strong diesel market and a strong wagon market. But what happened was, after the Volkswagen scandal happened, the EPA got super backed up. Tran- Industry Canada got super backed up. They weren't able to clear the engine in time to make the 2017 model year happen. They did decided instead of like throwing something together quickly, they were just going to abandon it. So there were no 2017 wagons. And when it came in 2018, there was no diesel because that's still that's still a touchy issue. So now it comes with a turbocharged four-cylinder engine instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, it's the same engine you'd find in the C sedan. It's, it's 241 horsepower and 273 pound-feet of torque. It has, I believe, an eight-speed automatic. Is that right, Sammy? I thought it was a nine-speed. It could be a yeah you're right it is the new nine speed, um and it's uh I have to say I mean we've talked about it before but after owning this it's also in Canada it comes with a standard all wheel drive after driving this vehicle for a week there's absolutely no reason to buy a compact SUV <laughs> not a I mean, single we've reason that so many times before in the past especially in the terms of wagons but we do not dictate these kinds of conversations it's the buyers out there who really care more right they they. They just see it a different way. Now, is well, your car all-wheel you know, drive? I, I'm sorry? Is your car all-wheel drive? Is yeah, the all-wheel drive is, is standard, I, I believe. I don't know what to tell you, man. But I want what I, what I will say to what you just brought up, people will buy what they're given. Okay. You can't buy this wagon in the U.S., so no one's going to be able to buy it. So you can't generate demand for a vehicle that doesn't exist. I, I don't know, know as if it's necessarily true that people don't want wagons. I feel like there perhaps aren't enough appealing wagons out there and i'm gonna say this i mean in canada this this is not a cheap vehicle i believe mine <laughs> stickered for around 50 uh after all for the options entry level for an entry level vehicle right like the yeah C-class that's 50 canadian so that's that's, that's probably 41 us and that's a decent amount of money to pay for this kind of vehicle but it's oh, if you were gosh. to compare it to a comparable suv you'd be paying more <laughs> okay i mean it's got a ton of cargo space mm-hmm. it's quick it's not a sporty vehicle, but it drives very nice. It's smooth. It's quiet inside. The interior is, I mean, the design is great. Uh, the, I don't have a bad thing, a single bad thing to say about the C300. There's just, there's just this wagon. That's insane. First of all, I've never heard you not complain about something. So, <laughs> um, I mean, you still you still bring up like uh, like some ice cream we had a couple of years ago. So that ice cream ruined my day. I think it was that that chocolate joint back in Montreal. But anyways, um, I'm okay. Not... I, if I wanted to complain about anything, it would be that like every Mercedes, if you put options on it, it gets expensive. Like I think my car had something like I don't have the spec sheet in front of me. But I believe it was close to 10k in options. So it probably had like an AMG package or a sport package. It did have a sport AMG package, and it looked good. It looked sick. <laughs> it was no, it's a badass wagon, man. No, and that's I just not one option you take off. <laughs> I just well, I you know, for for the average person who doesn't care about sportiness or sport, who thinks a wagon doesn't have to look sporty, it just has to be functional. I mean, you wouldn't need that. But it, it just it, the profile is so nice, and and what else I like about it is it's so easy to park, it's so easy to get through traffic, um, visibility is great. It's so, yeah. All why do you stuff... think why do you think it's so easy to to deal with in traffic? I mean, visibility because it's got bigger windows. At least it's got like a C pillar window, I suppose. Yeah, or... yeah. It, it just got it's it's better handling than, than an SUV. If I want to if I want to get to that hole oh, okay. of traffic that opens up, like you mentioned earlier, I just do it. Um, it, it doesn't. I'm not up high. I'm not teetering around. I don't have to jump up inside of it. 
it's a very smooth vehicle, and it's, it, it does 60 in 6.1 seconds. I mean, that's pretty quick. That's exactly <laughs> what you needed to be done to, to be done in. I mean, six seconds is very fast, and it's more than what anyone really needs. Um, I've been a huge fan of the C-Class ever since they debuted the CLA and decided that the C-Class needs to be something very different. And it's exactly what it needs to be. It's not overly sporty. I think it's an attractive car inside and out. And um, it gets the job done for so many customers. I want to walk back on my, my pricing. It's actually the one I drove was around 56000 So there was quite a bit of options. So I think it starts around 46 Canadian, and then I had 10, 10 grand of options on top of that. The sport package was 1700 So that's not a lot if you want to have a really sexy looking wagon. Um, oh, I also want to talk about, while, while we're on the su- subject of correcting ourselves, last week on the podcast, we were talking about the X2, and I got some important information wrong. I mentioned that there is no front-wheel drive version in the States. There is one. It's uh-huh. about two or th- it's about two or three grand cheaper. I think it starts at 36000 All versions of the Stelvio are all-wheel drive. I was doing the comparison of those two vehicles. So that kind of does make a difference if you, wanna, if you wanted to you know, save a little bit more money. The X2 is cheaper. But I still think that if you're comparing Stelvio to X2, you're going to be doing the the X Drive version of the BMW, which is the all-wheel drive version. So I, that's out of the way. Okay. Back to BMW. You've been worrying about that for like a week. I I have not been sleeping, Sammy. I've been waking up in the night and thinking, does someone want a front-wheel drive X2 and they think it doesn't exist because of me? And then flashing ahead to like meeting that person in 10 years and they're <laughs> sobbing and telling me how I ruined their lives. I don't need that on my conscience. I've already got so many burdens to carry ethically yeah. that I, I just can't add more. Well, I won't um, rub it in that I told you so about that front-wheel drive X2. Yeah. But... Oh, if only you told us so on the podcast, <laughs> that would have been professional. <laughs> um, okay, get back, to, get back to the C300. Stop thinking about that XT last week. Um, let's, let me ask you, there's one thing that I think they need to change, and it, and it draws back to what I drove recently from the Mercedes-Benz lineup. It's their infotainment system. I don't think it's the best. It's not the best, and the reasons there's a couple of reasons why it's not the best. So again, you know, okay, I guess I am complaining about this, but command, command, however you say it, C O M A N D is is how it's written. It, it's it's not that it's bad in the sense that you can't get what you need to do done, but the graphics are kind of old school. It, it's like you're using an old school radio and like mm. scrolling from side to side, and there's a there's no the, the, it just feels a little out of step with the market. But the reason the the reason you're doing so much scrolling is because they kind of divide the screen into three sections. The top is like one menu system. The middle is whatever you're actually doing. And then the bottom is a sub menu for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you have to like tap the scroll wheel to get to those sections and then scroll from side to side to f- make your selection. That in itself is not logical because it's harder to figure out what sub-menu you need to find mm-hmm. for what system. And I had trouble finding some features. Actually, uh, there's there's a third thing that com- that makes me a little bit crazy about the car. In addition to the scroll wheel, there's a touch-sensitive, like, I guess, knob mm-hmm. or like a, a, a spoke that holds the wheel. It's like a panel, yeah. Yeah, your, your natural your natural instinct is to put your rest of your palm on that panel while you're using the wheel. No, but if no. You do, no, if you do that, you move <laughs> the thing around on the screen because it's like another it's, – it's another control surface. This makes you crazy because you, you have to hold your hand very specifically. And I could not – the thing I couldn't find when I was looking through these menus – how to turn off the touch system. <laughs> it just, I can't find it. I asked some friends. They couldn't figure it out on their own vehicles either. It's its not, I mean, I could work around it. It didn't yeah. stop me from enjoying the vehicle, 
but it does feel a little fussy. I will say that that's the best part about Command is that its simplicity can sometimes be um, a benefit for it because you don't have to fuss too much with it. But I will admit, after I, I saw like iDrive, remember when iDrive allowed you to split the screen into two different panels and you had yeah. like and you had one thing on one half of the screen and another thing on the other. And I was like, oh wow, I can have an infotainment system that allows me to kind of multitask while I'm driving. And now every other car that doesn't have such a feature feels outdated and slow and clunky. So I, I, that's how I feel about command until they, until you see MBUX or MBUCKS. I can't remember what the best way to call M-Bucks. it. MBUCKS. MBUCKS. Come on down, MBUCKS. Win some MBUCKS with your infotainment system. Um, so I can't wait to see that get replaced in some um, upcoming vehicles. Now, um, I, I want to, you know, I was talking about SUVs and not needing them because this vehicle exists. 53 cubic feet of cargo space with the rear seats down. Mm. 53 and i think something around 20 with them up so that's just that's 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 a lot i mean that's a lot it's a lot it's It's more than that eclipse cross and more than the x2 that we had last week and more than the um more than the eclipse cross is like the lowest hurdle you could possibly clear in the audience that had like 49 cubic feet Okay, so I think it's 17 <laughs> cubic feet of, of cargo space. That's, okay. that's with, with with the rear seats up. So that's that's pretty that's good, man. You're yeah. you're more than you're you're two and a half times when you fold the seats down. And I used it. I hauled some tires around. Um, when I are picked you up not some... hauling tires? Every week look, you have any car, you are like, I hauled some tires. I look, man. Some don't pretend you understand train. my lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a, I got a lot of tires. What can I say? And it's a useful vehicle. So hey. I got All the job you do done. Is borrow cars, move one tires from one place to another. Isn't that don't it? stop judging me, man. Stop living all over me. I'm gonna I don't blow, live at your house anymore. Gonna, I don't have to abide by your freaky rules. I'm gonna blow the lid wide open on this thing. So, uh, 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 bottom line: SUVs, take them or leave them. Mm-hmm. C-Class wagon is something that should be available in the United States. I mean, they sell the E-Class wagon there, so it. it I, is it just a, only, I think they only sell it in AMG form, right? I would be totally cool if they only sold the C-Class <laughs> in, in AMG form as well. I'm not going to complain about that. Um, it's just it's a great vehicle, and Americans can't get it, and that sucks. So, uh, so Mercedes needs to do something about that, um, in my opinion. But don't be so quick to dismiss the crossovers, because the GLC 300 is good, too. Listen to me. I'm defending everything today. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm saying it doesn't need to exist. <laughs> That's so, that's so mean. I mean, there's lots of good things that have no purpose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so that's that's what we've driven this week. You actually drove something very special that we can't talk about. Do you want to tease about? Uh, I do um, want to tease. I do want to tease. Uh, we're gonna have a, a, a. We can actually talk about it. Uh, I just can't tell you anything more than the fact that I drove it. Uh, the 2019 Hyundai Veloster Turbo, <laughs> which has been completely redesigned. And you can't tell us that. You can't tell us that, can you? I can tell you everything about what it's like, except about what it's like to drive. Okay. So what we're gonna do is we have we have a very special um, episode of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, that's going to come out Monday mm-hmm. at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time, 
which is when I'm allowed to spill the beans about the Veloster, and we're going to do a bonus episode just about this little sporty little hatchback. And there's a lot of fun things to say about that, so make sure that you tune in um, for that special episode. It'll be a shorter one than normal, but we didn't want to wait a week. We wanted to tell you what it's like because we're that excited. And um, actually, yeah, and I don't know. I think you're going too far, man. I don't think you're supposed to tell us that there's a lot to talk about. You're very excited to talk about it. You're you're insinuating way too much. I think we're gonna get. I feel like I we need to insinuate- get the automotive podcast law team on this legal team. I feel okay. Well, once we've once we've broken them out of a military prison, we'll be able to tell ask the law team what they think. But uh, I don't think that insinuations are driving impressions. I'm just saying I'm excited to talk about it because I am. Uh, but Sammy, you know, there's there's one more thing I wanted to talk about this week. It's something that actually you told me about today. And that's the, the the fact that the brand new 2019 Chevrolet Silverado is going to come with a four-cylinder engine? Yes, a, a four-cylinder turbo, which um, I think it makes over 300 horsepower. It's a 2.7-liter four-cylinder turbo, which I think is really funny because Ford sells a 2.7 V6 turbo <laughs> in their F-150. That might really confuse some people, won't it? I... I I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the first time I think we're seeing a four-cylinder engine in a 1500 or, or mid-sized truck. Or and full-size it, truck. definitely, it is the first time. Yeah, uh, we've had four cylinders in all the small trucks, the compact trucks, since the beginning of time. But this is really the first, uh, you know, four-cylinder turbocharged four-cylinder, whatever you want to call it, that we're getting. And uh, it's it's. It's interesting because it's, like Sammy said, 310 horsepower, 348 pound-feet of torque. Those numbers sound really good on paper. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not going to be the base motor. It's going to be the the mid-trim volume sort of seller. If you want to buy a base work truck, you're still going to get the 4.3 V6, which is a good engine. But if you want to upgrade from that, the four-cylinder is kind of going to be that mid-step between V6 and V8. And that's that's, for pickup guys, that's weird. You know, like that's, uh, that's new territory. I don't know if you want to call it. I mean, it's so weird. The trim walk on the Silverado, it's going to be standard on two models. That four cylinder, it's going to be standard on the LT trim level and the RST. It's going to have, uh, it's going to come with that four cylinder and it makes it, 310 horsepower, 348 pound feet of torque. And that's 22% more than the V6 in, in the, torque, uh, yeah. the torque segment. And it's 380 pounds less. So, I mean, on a truck, I don't know if you're going to notice that, especially if you're loaded, but you probably notice the torque. It's going to be very interesting to see how the market reacts to it. I mean, I'm all for innovation, and I'm, I'd like to drive it and, and make my own opinions based on that. I don't have any preconceptions about what this four-cylinder might be like. Uh, GM's engine development's generally been very good over the last 10 years, but with the, with the Silverado, they've kept things really status quo. We've had the same displacements with uh they've added things like uh we had cylinder deactivation we had i believe we had very do we have variable valve timing on these pushrod engines i can't remember we if have that's variable displacement on some models too don't we yeah uh, or sorry active cylinder deactivation did you say yeah that? that's, that's oh, I, did, I did say that um so then, but this is the first turbo pickup that gm's ever built we're also we're also considering like i remember at the launch that they said that they can shut down up to seven cylinders on the v8 on the new v8 yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You can go way down it. It's, it's. Uh, I don't know what very special driving scenario you have to be in. Downhill. For, yeah, but um, anyway, it's it's interesting to see new ground being broken in the pickup truck area. I'm I'm always happy to see that. I mean, this is a truck that's also getting its own three. It's a three liter diesel uh, mm-hmm. V six as well. So there's a lot going on with it's Silverado. It's an inline six actually. Uh, it's an inline, inline six, six with a ten speed auto. Yeah. Okay, that's super cool. And um, yeah. 
kudos to Chevrolet for taking this risk. It's and you know it's low risk. What do they, what do they have to lose? The development money on the engine? That's probably about it. it people are going to buy Silverados regardless of what's under the hood. I mean, some people will take a chance on the four, and if they don't want the four, they'll buy something else. They're not going to be losing out. I'm also interested to see where this 2.7 um, four-cylinder turbo will will find a home in other cars in the in the Chevy lineup. I think it it has a chance to to exist in some cars that are not trucks, uh, and I'd like to see what that's like. I don't know if we'll see it in cars that aren't trucks. It's hard to say because there's already the two-liter engine, which is I would think more efficient. And that that's been working really well for GM, but maybe we could see this 2.7 in something like the Tahoe, which would be fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. would be a huge breakthrough for that vehicle, I think. And one of my uh, one of my colleagues, Sam McEachern, uh mentioned that I think Chevrolet is planning to bring a Blazer to market, something to compete with something like the Bronco, and yeah. uh, the 1.4 uh, that one sorry that 2.7 liter four cylinder turbo might might find a, some duty there. Definitely, definitely case. possible. That sounds like a lot of rumors, though, so I don't know. Well, this is the Unnamed Rumors podcast, so yeah, rumors. you heard it here first, or did you? Um, listen, if you want to tell us what you think about driving a four-cylinder full-size truck, why don't you tweet either me or Ben? Um, I'm at Sammy underscore Ha, and Ben is at Hunting Benjamin. And uh, if you want to spread some rumors of your own, you can also email me at Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, because I still use email because I'm your dad. <laughs> Other way, uh, other other ways you can contact us is through Facebook. You can just look for us there, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Or you can come to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you arrive there, you can find all of our past episodes. And you can also find links to subscribe to the podcast using any of your favorite podca- podcast clients, including Spotify, Google Play Music, and iTunes. So yeah, we're iTunes. all over the place. I mean, search on any of those services. Uh, CastBox, we're on there as well. Just type our name in and you will find it. Uh, if you don't feel like searching just click the links that sammy described on the website and uh thank you everyone for listening and we hope that you tune in for the special bonus episode which will be available in just a couple of days